Good morning. Welcome. It is just human number 238. It is Friday and we have some court documents to read. Uh, before we do the court documents, though, I'm going to lead off with a segment on Roger Stone, kind of going in the reverse of the direction I went on Wednesday and allow you guys to make up your own mind uh, about it. Um, right after I ended the show on on Wednesday, uh, General Flynn shared a post from Roger Stone with an article in it that supposedly debunks the audio we played on Wednesday. Uh, one of the audios we played on Wednesday. And so I just want to be fair and uh, present that as well and allow you guys to be the judge. I know where I'm at on it, but I feel like that's the, I feel like that's the right thing to do, the right way to go about it. So we'll see we'll see what we get to today. I have a hard stop because I got to go pick up my toddler. Um, so my idea is to do the stone thing. And then I want to touch on uh, Charles McGonagall's sentencing in D.C. He hasn't been sentenced yet, but it's coming up. And uh, so I want to go over that sentencing submission and and show y'all what what's kind of on the table there uh, for how he what kind of a sentence he might get in that that case. And then I started a thread on the massive Trump filing uh, for discovery uh, that I did or that Trump did on a, let's say he put it out Tuesday night, I think that huge, like 68 page filing. It is quite interesting. It is quite interesting. So I've, I've started a thread. I haven't finished going through the whole document. I'm really taking my time with this one because it lays out a timeline of, of so much of the beginning of that case. And, uh, I just find it fascinating. It's, it's, there's a lot of material in it. So, um, we'll start that thread at least is my goal and we'll, we'll just see where we end up. And then I'm kind of expecting that either I'll do a stream over the weekend or we'll pick right back up on Monday. I'm kind of afraid to put it off too far because so much stuff keeps happening, you know? Um, but we'll, we'll just see. I think that thread is, I mean, that case is really worth going through carefully. It connects to a lot of, of documents uh, like FOIA stuff and, um, things from the archives. I'm really, I'm really starting to lean towards the national archives, uh, being more so the bad guys in all of this quote unquote. Uh, not exactly sure. Not exactly sure. There's some funny business going on. I am sure about that. So before we get into it, um, I do want to say thank you to everybody who has been, uh, sharing my stuff and, uh, Putting it out there. Let me show this. There we go. So, like I've been telling you guys, I've been making clips of the shows and putting them in a playlist. So, right over here, if you go to playlists and clips, they, right here you'll find clips from all the shows. And then within the description, it has a link to the full show. Uh, so, I made three clips from the last episode. Um, the Seth Rich, Seth Rich clip, a clip about the John Anthony Castro case, and then a clip about Senator Bob Menendez. Um, I'm considering combining the stone segment from Wednesday with a clip from the stone segment today, but I haven't really decided about that because it's, it's kind of long. Um, of course that hasn't stopped me before, but, um, actually I should just be completely candid. Here's what stopped me from doing it. So this is like completely just 
talking to y'all from, from my heart here. Uh, so I had no idea that there were some other shows and in my opinion, uh, disinformation agents who were out there attacking stone and Flynn together, but who portray themselves as being anons or portray themselves as being MAGA. And you guys can probably pick up on who I'm talking about. Some of them anyway. So I had no idea that any of them were doing that kind of stuff because I don't pay attention to shill shows that often. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, but I, I got a lot of comments saying, Oh, well, MG show has been saying the same thing. Oh, well, Tori says has been saying the same thing about stone. And I just want to be very clear. I don't want to be lumped in with those shitheads. <laughs> I don't want to be lumped in with those gutter tier ass wipes. F them to this. Like, like I don't want to be associated with them. So seeing comments that it's like, like, I don't, I guess this is like, it's, it's kind of silly in a way. Uh, but I just don't want to be lumped in, in the same conversation. Like I never want to see a post that says MG show, Tori says, and just human all say X, Y, and Z. <laughs> Like I never want to see that. So anyway, that's what's actually holding me back from making a stone clip. Uh, <laughs> um, and that's just, that's just how it just makes me feel dirty. Uh, so anyway, but I still have the same opinion of stone as I presented on Wednesday. So anyway, I just, um, I, I just, it's just on my mind for right or wrong, right or wrong. Uh, I, I, it's on my mind and uh, it makes me feel gross. <laughs> so, um, all right, guys, if you like the show on my link tree and in my uh, description of the show, wherever you're watching this, I'm on, I'm streaming right now on rumble. That's the best place. Um, I'm also streaming on pilled. Good morning, filter dog. And, um, and X, and on D Live, I, I don't know. I like only go live on D Live. There's like two people that watch me over there, I think. Uh, but there are some people who have found me on D Live and then started watching me on on uh, Rumble. So good morning to everybody over there. I know Monopulent often watches on D Live. I can't actually log into D Live and do anything. I don't know why. Uh, but you know, gotta you gotta spread yourself out. So. Uh, those are all the places you can watch it. Now, if you're interested in getting a podcast version of the show, there's about a thousand people who listen to the podcast version of the show uh, via Substack. So if you go to my Substack link, uh, that's where I put the audio version of the show. You can listen to it there or you can point it towards your favorite podcast player. If you're interested in supporting the show, Substack subscription is the best way a paid subscription on Substack is the absolute best way. But I will tell you that everything on there is free. You don't have to pay for anything on there or anywhere else. If you just want to buy me a cup of coffee to keep me caffeinated, you can go to ko-fi.com. Uh, I love that on here, they don't take it. The, the, the entire amount makes its way to me. They don't take any percentage of it, which is pretty cool, but they all, they also allow you to leave a note. And I really appreciate these notes that you guys leave. You guys are very kind. And, uh, yeah, I, the positivity over here is is noticed and appreciated. 
Next, you can go to Benson Honey Farms, click the affiliate link and anything you purchase over here, any of their delicious products, they'll kick a few dollars my way. Same thing with bootleg products. I love everything I've had from them and I cook with their products, not every day, but almost every day. I love it. In fact, I need to order some more for myself. Um, we got more cold weather coming and I'm going to buy some more chili, I believe. Uh, that might be my favorite thing from here next to the taco and fajita seasoning. I made fajita, I made a uh, fajitas last night and uh, used their seasoning. I love it. And my family loves it. So same thing as Benson. Make a purchase over here. After you click my affiliate link, they'll kick a few dollars my way. They got free shipping on orders over $50. So it's a great time to go over there. Use that coupon code and use my affiliate link. Manly cans, same deal. Um, Valentine's Day is coming up. You've probably got a manly man in your life, or you should find one and buy him a manly can. I like the Dapper Man can, of course, naturally. But whatever you, whatever can you decide to purchase over here, they'll kick a few dollars my way. And then there's merch. There's some, there's different types of merch over here. You know, I got some stickers and I got some shirts and things like that. Uh, but, and glasses, you know, all that kind of stuff. But the best thing over here is definitely the coffee mug. Um, the coffee mug is high quality. In fact, I met a, more than one person at the last Badlands event came up to me and said, Hey, I have your coffee mug and I love it. You weren't lying. <laughs> it is, it keeps the coffee hot and it's a really good size. And, uh, yeah, people love it. And then there's Venmo. So with all of that out of the way, all that out of the way, let's get, let's get to it. Um, I see lots of people praising bootleg. Yeah, it is. So their products are so good. Okay. So this is what we're going to do here. And by the way, if you can hear my wife teaching a class in the other room, I'm sorry, I can turn down my gain if it's actually bothering you. Uh, but I adjusted some of the filters and gain on here. So I think I should be good. I don't know if y'all can hear her, but if you can, I can, I can try and adjust some stuff. All right. So going into this, uh, this stone segment, I'm just going to take you through the process I did. Okay. I'm going to take you through the process that I went through in trying to do this. My goal was. I wanted to try and replicate. I see people saying, no, they can't, they can't hear. Good. Um, okay. Awesome. Awesome. So I guess about an hour or so after I got done with my show, General Flynn shared this post, which is from Roger Stone, this article right here saying that the so-called assassination audio has been debunked. And so Flynn says it's nonsense and it needs to stop. Roger Stone has been fully vindicated multiple times over, over years now. These types of verbal and online attacks are going to get people hurt. And this targeted abuse of a man who has valiantly served the political discourse of America for half a century must end. Those who continue to believe they will get away with these outright lies must be held to account. I pray Roger goes after them using the full weight of the law and I trust would be on his side if the facts were to be fully examined. Trust me, I know how this works. We are done being pincushions for those on the left 
who seek nothing more than to further destroy people's reputations because they feel they'll get away with it. No more. All right. I very respectfully disagree with General Flynn, and I leave open the possibility that I am incorrect and that he is correct. But I do disagree. I do disagree in regards to Roger Stone. However, I went to this article because I'm trying to be fair and I want to have the truth, not just go off of my gut feeling and emotions, right? So this article comes from an outlet called Rare, which I think I've maybe heard of once or twice. Um, I went and checked them out to see what their who they were, and on on X, they got fifty one thousand followers. Their account's been around since September twelfth. Uh, I mean September twenty twelve. I noticed that they post about Roger Stone a lot. A lot. <laughs> uh, so I was like, man, where's all their other news articles? But they post about Stone a whole lot. Uh, and other than that, they put, you know, it's kind of typical right wing stuff. Uh, so I was like, okay, okay. And, uh, but I kind of thought like, man, they post about Stone so much. Like, are they connected to Stone some way? And I didn't, I didn't see anything, but um, I just wanted to get a feel for what was this outlet. So I'm going to read this article to be fair, and I'm going to present to you what they say, how they've debunked that audio. Now, this is specifically in regards to the audio uh, that Mediaite had. That's the that Stone record, supposedly it's Stone saying that it's time to take out Nadler or Swalwell. And that's the reports that now the Capitol Police and the FBI are investigating Stone over those comments. And those comments were given or recorded in October of 2020. So now Mediaite is an organization I don't exactly have a positive opinion of, right? Uh, and the author behind that article, I don't exactly have a positive opinion of. Okay, this is a leftist. This Diana Falzone is a total leftist. Um in every sense of the word. And as you can see, she's written many articles attacking stone and, um, pardon me. It's, it's, it's uh, I don't have a huge, you know, I don't have, I, my bias is actually against Mediaite. I have a bias against Mediaite <laughs> given their track record. And I'm sure you guys do too. Um, or at least we have an awareness of who Mediaite is. So I'm not exactly holding, I'm not holding up any or either organization as being credible here. All right. On January 8th, 2024. So this is from Troy Smith. I did find out he's an editor over here at uh, Rare. On January 8th, 2024, Media Ida news organization that is owned and operated by a man called Dame Dan Abrams published a sensationalized article which claimed that Trump advisor and political operative Roger Stone had plotted to assassinate two Democrat members of Congress four years ago. By the way, I don't think he plotted to. I think he, assuming the audio is legit, I think that he spoke in a way that is detrimental, detrimental to our movement and that is threatening to those men. And it is wrong. And that's why I don't have anything to do with Roger Stone. And it's also just the latest in a long line of Roger Stone saying things that I uh, am uncomfortable with, to say the least. Okay. In their, artic in their initial article on the subject, 
Reporter Diana Falzone claimed that she had obtained exclusive audio of Roger Stone calling for the assassination of Democrat representatives Eric Swalwell and Jerry Nadler in October of 2020. Falzone claims that this audio is recorded by an anonymous source and was alleged to have been taken out of the conversation between Stone and a former New York police official, Sal Greco. Now, if you guys remember, Sal Greco didn't confirm or deny the audio when asked about it. In a restaurant called Cafe Europa in Fort Lauderdale, Falzone produces no actual evidence that Greco was present for the alleged statement she claims Stone made, nor does she document the alleged location where she claims it took place. Falzone alleges that Stone said, quote, it's time to do it. Let's go find Swalwell. It's time to do it. Then we'll see how brave the rest of them are. It's time to do it. It's either Swalwell or Nadler has to die before the election. They need to get the message. Let's go find Swalwell and get this over with. I'm just not putting up with this shit anymore. Despite Falzone... I, Storm Shelter, I get your joke. <laughs> despite, despite Falzone's entire article hinging on the existence of the alleged recording of Stone, Mediaite failed to include the audio in their preliminary piece... Immediately, Roger Stone responded to this article in the Daily Mail, telling the publication, quote, if there is such an audio, why don't they post it? Why won't they send it to me? If there is such an audio, it would have been illegally obtained. And if there is such an audio, it would have not, it would have been AI generated. A fraud, since I never said any of the words attributed to me. Stone was vehement from the very beginning that he never said the words that Falzone charged him with saying and that any clip that Mediaite ultimately produced would have to have been falsified with AI technology. After Stone's comments were recycled in many publications, Mediaite followed up their first sensationalized article and expanded, it, expanded upon it. On January 12th, the same reporter, Diana Falzone, published another article about the subject entitled Exclusive. Here's the tape of Roger Stone discussing assassination of Democrats, with he, which he denied ever doing. This time, Falzone includes an audio clip of what she claims is Stone making the statement alleged in her first article. The audio can be heard in media video, including Falzone. You can find it here. That's what we listened to. Additionally, Falzone freely admits within the, the video that the alleged audio of Stone has been lightly edited. What does lightly edited mean? Why did the clip have to be edited at all? Then Falzone denies on her own X feed that the audio was edited. So was it edited or was it not? So she says, to be clear, the contents of the audio rec recording obtained by media of Roger Stone telling the NYPD cop um, et cetera, et cetera. Those contents are not edited. Stone, which is the most important part, of course. Uh, Stone maintains that the clip has been falsified by AI. What kind of editing did Falzone conduct on this audio clip? And more importantly, how do we know that it was not simply fabricated and sent to media in order to falsely and maliciously target Stone, especially in the midst of a heated presidential election cycle, given Stone's longtime association with Donald Trump, which is the real target, of course. The real target is Trump through Stone, right? In order to back up his claims, Stone cited the conclusions of an AI detection software that is readily available to the public. And here, this is where we're going to do some sleuthing, guys. 
Roger Stone cited the conclusions of an AI detection software that is readily available to the public. The results verified Stone's claims that the software determining that there is a 92.63% chance that the audio has been falsified with AI technology. They included background music and noise to bypass the other AI detectors. However, our AIvoicedetector.com detected that this recording was produced using an AI voice. That is the claim from this outlet, Rare. I see some people saying that my audio is choppy, but I don't know how many people are having that issue. Everything looks good on my end. Yeah. Yeah, everything looks good on my end. Oh, really? LKW Cross. So uh, Sal Greco denied all of this stuff on Stone. Okay, that's good to know. That's good to know. In his first quote, he didn't. Um, you guys say it's good. Okay. In this first quote in the article, Sal Greco didn't give a yay or nay. Okay. So this right here, this AI thing that they tried, AI voice detector, okay? It says that 92.63% chance it's AI voice, okay? Stone posted the results of the forensic examination of the audio first posted by Mediaite by Hitesh Sion, a longtime sound technician who dissected the audio and posted his conclusions on X. Rare reached out to Hitesh Sion, okay? So this outlet reached out to this guy. Here's what Sion told Rare. Quote, I have spent a lot of time on vocal recording, vocal editing, melodining, and tuning vocals, and that has given me a pretty good ear for what sounds natural in terms of tonal flow, inflection, character, and vocal qualities. I also do a lot of sound design and all kinds of audio processing, mixing, and engineering. So when I heard the recording of Roger Stone, there was something that immediately struck me as unnatural about the tonal flow, especially on the part that starts just after how brave the rest of them are on the recording. The background noise and the filtered low-quality sound of the recording is very useful for, for masking any very obvious flaws in AI-generated voice. I decided to create a similar AI-generated recording with Joe Biden's voice, where I put similar background noise behind it, using a similar rather dull frequency response and mono audio, like the recording of Roger Stone. Very easy to do and took me only around five minutes demonstrating how easily a fake recording like this can be produced. I was looking into different AI solutions for detection of fake AI-generated voices, and then coincidentally, the website AI Voice Detector contacted me on X and confirmed that their AI had included that there was a 92.6% chance that the Roger Stone recording was AI-generated. AI audio has been developing very fast recently, and I think there is a real there's really going to make a lot of recordings, uh, real recordings, not AI audio, irrelevant as evidence in a court of law. AI audio can already be used in quite convincing ways, like this fake recording of Roger Stone. Stone himself also cited a second AI software detector, DeepFakeDetector.ai which he utilized to examine the audio posted by Mediaite. In this case, the detection software said there was a 95.8 likelihood that the audio was AI-generated. 
It appears that in an attempt to potentially harm his credibility and reach in the midst of a presidential election, that Mediaite has published a glaringly false audio clip in search of a sensationalized story to generate advertising revenue via clicks on their site. It should be noted that Dan Abrams, who owns Mediaite, has storied history, has a storied history of attacking Roger Stone, etc., 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 etc. Mediaite has produced zero evidence to suggest that the audio clip they published is legitimate or authentic. At the same time, they shield the anonymous source, who they say provided the audio, to Mediaite. There is no way of verifying that it is Stone speaking on the clip, and AI detection software has clearly, overwhelmingly, clearly and overwhelmingly stated that the clip has serious authenticity issues. Okay. Let's see. Stone reiterates that I never said the words attributed to me. I have published substantial proof that the audio published by Mediaite is an AI-generated deepfake. And I am confident that any honest investigation will prove this. Okay. So, my initial idea, guys, was that I would go to these websites and I would upload, or these detectors, right? And I would upload the Stone audio and I would see... um. I would see if I could replicate what they said. I wanted to see if I could get it to give the same response that it was AI generated. So here, I'll just go through it. So I went to these websites. I went to this one first. Oh wait, I don't want to, I want to open up a new tab. Sorry. So I went to this one first. And it's got the section up here where you can upload a file. And I went to go do that and it wanted me to register and I registered and then it wants me to pay 25 bucks. And I was like, uh, I'm not going to really pay $25 just to figure out if this is real or not. Cheap of me. Sure. But I was just like, I don't care about this story enough to do $25 just for this one piece of audio. And I don't know anything about this voice detector. I have no idea if it's good, if it's bad. Um, I, I, I was, I wasn't, I wasn't interested. So I was like, well, let me try this other one, deepfakedetector.ai. So I went to this one, and immediately I was like, this looks like the same website. I was like, this looks like the exact same website. The layout's the same. This one says 20 plus thousand. This one does a count up, not as many. It's got like, like this looks like the same person made the website. Is this the same product? And then I noticed that this got questions person. Oh yeah, my image is in the way. Let me show you. Over here in the lower right, this little pop-up saying got questions, it's the same, has the same Avi, the same profile pic. Now I was like, this is the same th freaking thing. They're trying to say in the article that they use two different sources to verify. Where'd my, where'd my camera go? Uh, they use two different sources to verify that it was fake, but it's actually the same source it seems. So I was like, all right, I found up here in the right, which my logo is covering up, but there's an Instagram and there's a LinkedIn uh, icon. <clears throat> So I was like, I'm going to go to the Instagram. So I went to the Instagram and I was like, close that. 
It's like, okay, what is this? And I didn't see the stone audio featured here. There was some other deep fake examples right here. They've got 37 followers and it links back to AIvoiceDetector.com. I was like, all right, well, what is the Instagram on this one? Same thing. It goes to the exact same Instagram. So I was like, okay, so these are the same product. And in the article, they're saying it's two different AI det voice detectors have confirmed that this is audio is AI, but it's actually the same one. So it also has a link, it has a LinkedIn icon. So I went to that. And at the LinkedIn icon, it showed me one employee linked to the same website. Oh, what is going on? Why did it refresh? It's probably trying to log me in. I don't want it to log me in. Go back. Come on, LinkedIn. No, I didn't want to log in. I didn't tell you to log me in. I don't even want... Let me go to a private window. Yeah, Salt Muncher, the same, the same AI app confirmed it twice. Okay. You guys can't see the screen I just did. Uh, so the, the employee... Let me, let me change which screen I'm grabbing because I went to a private one. Oh, shoot. It won't do it. There it is. There it is. So this is the guy who made it. Abdella Azuzi. And I was like, okay, he's founder at AI Voice Detector. And this, his LinkedIn history only goes back to 2022. So I was like, well, it's got an article here about deep fakes. Got three activities right here about deep fakes, but there wasn't, pardon me, anything that I was like, oh, that's it. And he also wasn't advertising on here that, hey, I just confirmed this stone audio is fake. It's like, okay, well, all right. So setting that aside, that that's how it is. I tried both of these things, and both of them want me to pay. 25, 25 bucks to use it one time. I went to the app store and looked at it and I know I can't do that on here, but I went to the app store and looked at these apps in the app store and they don't have any ratings. Neither of these AI voice detector apps have any ratings at all or any reviews at all. They just got published. They just got put in the app store like a couple days before this whole thing. And I was like, man, that's really not, that's really not making me think this is a credible debunk, quote unquote. So I went to go look up who is this website? Like, what is this website? And I found that Rare, the media publication, um, has been around for a while. It's been around since 2013. It's changed hands a few times. Its original owner and former, its original founder and uh, former newsroom director was at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and at the Washington Times. And then there was another person from the Daily Caller who was there and another person uh, that used to work for Senator Rand Paul who was there. So you got a mix. It's based in Tennessee. It recently changed hands uh, 
it ceased publishing a couple times. It's published for a while, then stopped, then published for a while, then stopped, and then it changed hands in uh, 2022 or 2021 um, after being purchased by Publishers Clearinghouse. It was sold to a group called Savage Ventures in April 2022. And this guy, Sam Savage, bought it back in 2022 and relaunched it. And this article is all like the usual corporate talk about it's an amazing brand with many connections and blah, 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 and reputation, like all the, all the normal corporate talk about it, right? It says it has 15 million social followers and 40 million visitors a month at its peak. But as you guys saw, like it doesn't, it didn't have that many on X now. It's got 50,000. But whatever, you know, how many followers you have doesn't isn't really a testament to how legit or credible you are. It's just something to note. So I went to go look up this audio person, you know, it quoted this Hitesh Sion guy who said that he did this test and he could tell because of his experience with audio that this audio was sketchy. And he thought it was AI generated. And, you know, that's who they interviewed as a as an authority figure, so to speak. Uh, in this article. So I went to go look him up. And he's an Icelandic songwriter, producer, and composer. He was part of the production duo Element before it was disbanded in 2016. And he has produced and written songs for Madcon, CeeLo Green, Music Soul Child, Alexandra Burke, Snoop Dogg, Daily, Rick Ross... Michael Jackson, he re, and he reproduced two tracks for Michael Jackson and Motown Records. So like this guy's all in the music industry working with some really big acts. Um, so I went to go check his Twitter to see if he had posted about this. And he has shared the article, but I noticed he's got 149 followers. And um, before that, before posting this article on January 17th, he had posted once on January 10th and then December 31st. But then there's these huge gaps from October, September, April 8th, 2022, then December 13th, 2020, and then back to 2020, and then 2018, and then 2015, and then 2013, 2012. So like his ex history, either he never ever used his ex account, which is possible, or he's done a massive cleanup of his ex account and deleted almost every post he ever made. And then suddenly he's doing political stuff. Well, not doing it, contributing to this article. Okay. So I was like, well, that's kind of odd. This, this is a little bit odd. Certainly doesn't mean he's wrong, but it's a little bit odd. So that left me guys with I actually don't know what to think. And what I wanted to do, what I had told, um, what I had told Salt Muncher, good morning, Salt Muncher, what I told him that I wanted to do after Wednesday's show, I said, you know, I want to find an AI detection software or website, and I want to upload this stone audio and see if I can get it to say it's real or fake. And then I want to take some, um, audio that I know is AI, that I know is a deep fake and test it out. And I want to take some audio I know isn't deep fake and I want to test it out. 
I just want to run this experiment to uh, discover the credibility of this detection software, and then that'll give me a good idea of the stone audio. But I'm finding that difficult, and I spent about 30 minutes or so yesterday, maybe a little bit longer, searching for some AI voice detection software out there that would let me do the test that I want to do. And they were all, they were all, they all cost money. They were all like either subscriptions or they were uh, like McAfee just launched one. Um, anyway, I would have to pay money for all of them. And I just, I just don't feel like doing that. <laughs> I don't feel like doing it. So here's, here's where I am on this. Okay. Here's where I am on this. In my opinion, it has not been debunked because the source of the debunking is an audio person who I'm sure is very good, basically says, trust me, bro. And then you have this detection app that is linked here as being two separate voice detecting softwares, but they're actually the same one from the same guy. And they're brand new and they have no ratings. They have no history. It's not open source. And you have to pay $25 to use it. And also the Stone Audio is, as you guys heard, it has a lot of noise in it. And I learned through using other AI and Photoshop detecting uh, software that is that is free and open source that I've used before, actually many times, that it'll pick up on... Uh, it looks for pixels that are out of place and it looks for things that are just a little bit off, right? Naturally. And I th I'm sure the AI voice detection software is similar. And when there's the more noise there is, at least with the image stuff and video stuff I've looked at, the more noise there is, the more distortion in the image there is, the more likely it is to say that it's fake. Even when it's not. So... I kind of feel like that's probably the same way with audio. Um, and I think that makes sense just logically that the less noise there is in the audio, the easier it is for the AI to distinguish between real and an edited fake audio. So ultimately, guys, where I'm at on this subject of whether or not this audio is real from Roger Stone is I don't know. <laughs> and no one does. And... If it's fake, then Roger Stone needs to sue Mediaite. If this audio is fake, then Roger Stone needs to sue Mediaite. And I think if it's fake, he will. Assuming he can afford it. But if it's real, it's in line with other statements he has made. It doesn't seem out of character. So where I am on this is just straight neutral. My overall opinion and estimation of Stone hasn't changed. I still think he's Swamp. Um, and I don't think he's MAGA. I don't think he's MAGA. I really don't. Um, I think he's in line with whoever is in power. And that's what he cares about is power. And that's just where I'm at on it. So there, there's the little investigation I did to try and what I wanted, I was really looking forward to running some tests. I really wanted to test it out and see if I could figure out whether it was real or fake. But um, 
and I would, and I would, I would, you know, if I went, to, if I had gone to the app store and that that uh, AI detection audio had, um, like a lot of ratings saying that this was a really good software, I probably would have dished out twenty five bucks to do it to buy that software so that I could use it because I figure I'm going to need it in the future, right? We're going to need the ability to figure out if audio is fake. So I thought, you know what, twenty five bucks to be able to figure that if this thing has good ratings, I'll use it. But it has none. It's brand new. It's only been around a couple of weeks and it doesn't, who knows? Who knows if it's, if it's worth it. There's so many scam apps, right? So that's where I'm at on it. Filter dog. That's right. So many scams out there. Um, God is with you with us. Good morning. Yeah, I agree. And thank you guys for the cans over on Foxhole. Appreciate it. Um, so snarky does, I appreciate that, but I, I looked around, I never found a software that I, th that seemed to me like one worth purchasing. Um, this is a new area, right? This is a, it's, it's new that we're needing that type of ability, uh, to, to be able to detect if, if audio is, has been edited or uh, it, AI voice is being used. And in my Googling around, I, I just didn't, I just didn't find any software that I thought was worth purchasing. So maybe that'll change. I'm going to keep an eye out for it. Cause I think that's going to be a really, really useful OSINT tool that we're going to need. You know, I have OSINT tools that help me detect when an image has been manipulated and I use those from time to time. So I, I'm, I'm very willing to get something that, and I think I'm going to need something that for audio, but I haven't found one that I thought that's it. That's going to be a good one to buy. So yeah, filter dog, Sal Greco. That's what chat's telling me. Sal Greco um, denied that that audio is authentic. Um, or at least is denying that he heard Roger Stone say that. Um, so that's one. That's one data point there, a significant one. Assuming that in the audio, that is who Stone was talking to and he was at the table where he would have heard that, right? So, all right, let's talk about McGonagall, one of my favorite swamp creatures. <laughs> um, you guys may remember back on, back last in, uh, yeah, last month, last month, uh, Charles McGonagall, the uh, most corrupt FBI agent to be indicted and convicted for some 30 years um, has he was he was indicted in Southern District of New, Southern District of New York, New York and in DC it's my personal opinion that the case in DC started out uh, because of his mistress and him breaking up and her going to the FBI and telling them about all the extra cash this guy always had on him and it didn't make sense. And then the SDNY case, I believe, spun out of the Durham investigation. I believe it's one that Durham was looking at and he passed it off to the SDNY. He didn't make a formal referral of McGonagall. I think he just tipped the SDNY off. I could be wrong, but I think that because McGonagall is such a key player in Spygate, especially at the very beginning. So McGonagall got 50 months 
in the Estine Y case, which is just over four years incarceration time, uh, plus fines and pro- probation. And if you guys remember, um, <laughs> snarky desk. <laughs> That's funny. Um, if you guys remember, I was I was going through this and I found in one of the sentencing documents this letter from Bracewell, which I believe is re- it's redacted, and I believe it's redacted because it's basically saying that McGonagall has provided a bunch of evidence or agreed to cooperate in other investigations, et cetera, et cetera. It's a it's very encouraging to see this because it says, moreover. After going through a long list, in this document, they go through a long list of all the reasons why the judge should go soft to McGonagall. And then it says, moreover, after Mr. McGonagall entered his plea, redacted. Two paragraphs redacted. And then it says the facts above alongside the truly extraordinary public service detailed in the classified sentencing memorandum or addendum must be considered. So I think this right here that's all redacted is this document is confirming that McGonagall is providing information and has agreed to cooperate with multiple other investigations, probably connected to Spygate, or at least hopefully. Um, anyway, I would love it if it's like he's going to cooperate against Andy McCabe, uh, people like that. So now he has the DC case. And the sentencing for the DC case is coming up. And so I wanted to look, so he's already got 50 months in the other one, just a little over four years. So I wanted to look at what DOJ is recommending here in, in this one. I got, I got pulled up right here. So this is the 17 page memorandum from DOJ as regards Charles McGonigal's sentencing. Before I start reading this, let me add, let me pour some more coffee in my cup. Good morning, everyone. Glad y'all are here. Hope y'all are having a great Friday. Okay. Defendant Charles McGonagall supervised. Now this is this is DOJ. Okay, Defendant Charles McGonagall supervised national security operations for the FBI in New York without disclosing to the FBI that he had taken hundreds of thousands of dollars from a businessman with ties to the Albanian government. Not only did he take the money in cash without disclosing it as required by law, but he also advanced the business interest of his benefactor and lied to the FBI about their joint activities. The defendant's concealment prevented the detection of the actual and apparent conflicts of interest between his official duties and his private financial interest. This is, at its core, corruption that undermines transparency and trust in the integrity of the executive branch of government. The defendant was sworn to investigate and prevent crimes against the United States, not perpetrate them. For his egregious violations of the public trust, the government requests that the court sentence the defendant to 30 months incarceration and order him to pay a fine of $95,000, a sentence at the top of and consistent with the applicable United States sentencing guidelines. So that would be 30 months on top. I hope it would be consecutive 
not concurrent. I would hope it would be consecutive. That would be 80 months in prison for McGonagall. In the SDNY case, DOJ asked for 60 months, and the judge gave him 50. So maybe they'll ask for 30 here, and the judge will give him 25. There's a footnote here on January 18, 2023, so a year ago, a grand jury sitting in D.C. returned a nine-count indictment against Charles McGonagall. The defendant criminal conduct. The defendant was a special agent in charge, a SAC, of the FBI's New York field office from October 2016 until his retirement in September 2018. In that position, he was responsible for overseeing counterintelligence and national security matters. In the fall of 2017, while the defendant was employed as a SAC, or an SAC, with the FBI in New York, he asked for and received approximately $225,000 in cash from an individual identified herein as Person A. Person A was born in Albania and had worked for an Albanian intelligence agency in the 80s and 90s. At the time he was introduced to the defendant, Person A was naturalized U.S. citizen living in New Jersey. According to Person A, the defendant told him that he needed money because of financial pressures associated with his upcoming retirement and having college-aged children, and that the money would be repaid. Person A anticipated that he would be going into consulting business with the defendant after the defendant retired from the FBI, and, the person, a, and person A believed that his relationship with the defendant would help him make potentially lucrative business connections in the future. It's a swampy setup just like any other we've heard of. For his part, the, except for this guy's coming from the FBI, and not just like an FBI agent, the guy in charge at New York. For his part, which New York and D.C. are, it's like the most important FBI offices are New York, D.C. and L.A. For his part, the defendant agrees that he solicited the money from person A with an eye towards a future business relationship with person A. Although person, although upon his retirement, instead of working with person A, he went to work for a commercial real estate company. The defendant failed to disclose the cash he received. The purpose of the mandatory disclosures that he was supposed to make was for transparency. Twice, the defendant submitted OGE 78 forms like he was supposed to in, July, in June 2018 and May 2019, and they omitted any information about the cash he had received. Following his receipt of Person A's money, the defendant engaged in acts that concealed his relationship and appeared to advance... Al he, had, he advanced Albanian interest in the United States. For example, in the spring of 2018, several months after Person A provided the cash to the defendant, Person A was opened as an FBI New York confidential human source for a criminal investigation within the defendant's area of responsibility. The investigation was also opened at the defendant's behest. So Charles McGonigal opened up a case, made the person paying him hundreds of thousands of dollars a confidential human source, and the case was against someone that the confidential human source wanted the case to be against. It's so corrupt. The investigation involved allegations that an individual was violating the Foreign Agents Registration Act based on payment discrepancies associated with lobbying activities in the United States on behalf of an Albanian political party. The discrepancies were brought to the defendant's attention by person A, 
in collaboration with a former Albanian energy minister. At the time the matter was open, FBI personnel questioned its propriety, and it was closed shortly after McGonagall's retirement as the allegations were never substantiated. The corrupt nature of the defendant's conduct is further illustrated by steps he took to advance person A's financial interest. As the defendant admits on September 7th, 2017, he flew with person A to Albania, where he met for several days with the same former Albanian energy minister and other foreign nationals. These other foreign nationals might be the most interesting part. Who are they? This is like Deripaska. Some Russian swamp creatures, Ukrainian swamp creatures. Who knows? What's it? I, I bet the FBI knows now, though. I bet he's talked to about it. On September 9th, 2017, in Albania, he met with both the former energy minister and the prime minister of Albania. At person A's request, the defendant cautioned the prime minister of Albania to avoid awarding oil field drilling licenses in Albania to Russian front companies at the very same time that person A and the energy minister had a financial interest in the government of Albania's decisions about awards of oil field drilling licenses. The defendant took other actions that appeared to be at person A's behest. In September 2017 in Albania, the defendant produced uh, or was introduced by person A to an Albanian business person and politician who told the defendant that he wanted the United States government to investigate an alleged plot to kill that Albanian business person and politician. The defendant agreed to do his bidding while also looking in lot to line his and person A's own pockets by seeking business opportunities with the Albanian business person. Later that fall, November 17, 2017, the defendant traveled by air to Austria. The next day, November 18th, the defendant in the presence of person A and with another Department of Justice official. Who is that? interviewed the same Albanian business person and politician that he had met during his September 17, 2017 trip. Person A attended the meeting as an interpreter. The defendant did not prepare a standard FBI 302 report of that interview, and the FBI has no official record of the meeting taking place. Later that day, the defendant and person A flew from Austria to Albania, where they met again with the same Albanian business person and politician, this time without the participation of the other DOJ official. At this meeting, the three men discussed business opportunities, including how they could all make money together in the pharmaceutical industry. In addition to accurately completing the OGE 278 forms, those are the ones about money, that he's received the defendant had a duty and was required by official FBI policy directives and FBI policy generally to accurate, accurately report to the FBI any official foreign travel, unofficial foreign travel or, and any ongoing contacts with foreign nationals. The official and unofficial travel disclosures were required to be made on FBI report of foreign travel FD 772 and FBI Foreign Travel Debriefing Forms 772B. The disclosure of, of contacts with foreign nationals were required to be made on FBI Report of Foreign Contact Forms FD981. Information provided on these forms had national security implications. 
failure to complete them fulsomely or accurately could result in adverse employment actions, including the revocation of security clearances when appropriate. As the holder of a national security clearance, the defendant was required to report to the FBI accurate and complete information relating to his contacts with foreign officials and his financial assets and liabilities. Yet on two occasions, September 5th and November 15th of 2017, the defendant submitted FBI report of travel forms containing false information relating to his connections with person A and the former Albanian energy minister. The travel forms both related to the defendant's upcoming travel to Eastern Europe in September 2017 and November 2017. Person A accompanied the defendant on both of these trips. But the defendant listed no travel companions. The defendant also did not pay for his own lodging on the trips. He left blank the portions of the form requiring information about any free lodging. On both forms, the defendant disclosed the first destination of his foreign travel. Albania, Vienna, but it failed to disclose that there would be a second country visited, which was Kosovo in September and Albania in November. The defendant met with the former Albanian energy minister on both trips, a foreign national with whom he had an ongoing relationship since early spring. But the defendant failed to identify any reportable foreign contacts in any on form FD-772. On both forms, the defendant also falsely denied or misleadingly characterized the second destination on each of his travels. On FD-772B form regarding the September trip, the defendant stated that he visited Kosovo only for sightseeing purposes on a non-official tourist basis and did not reveal that he had met with the incoming prime minister of Kosovo and provided FBI memorabilia to him. The FD-772B form from the November trip which was submitted January 22nd of 2018, failed to include that the defendant traveled from Vienna to Albania at all. On both FD-772B forms, the defendant denied having had contact with representatives of a foreign government outside of official FBI business, despite having met with the Prime Minister of Albania on both trips. The defendant's surreptitious and corrupt foreign entanglement with person A extended beyond Albania. In the spring of 2018, the defendant made efforts to facilitate a meeting between Bosnian individuals and the U.S. delegation to the United Nations and suggested the Bosnian individual pay person A for facilitating this very same meeting. Footnote. Although this Bosnia-related conduct is not included in the defendant's statement of offense, this court may consider it for sentencing purposes. In its evaluation, the court may consider all factual evidence relevant to the conduct of conviction that is proven by preponderance of the evidence without regard to the rules of admissibility at trial. I'm trying to remember, was it... Was it Bosnia that McGonagall arranged a meeting with for Nikki Haley? I'm trying to remember. Hold up. Hold up. I'm going to Google this real quick. Nikki Haley McGonagall. I swear there's a report. Okay. 
that he set up a meeting for Nikki Haley while she was at the UN. I'm looking, I'm looking. Hold up. Yes. So this is from Daily Mail. I was looking at. Yeah, it's from last month. Okay. So GOP presidential hopeful Nikki Haley was drawn into this case because Allison Guerrero, uh, McGonagall's ex-mistress insists McGonagall used to boast about his friendship with the former U.S. ambassador. Haley's office did not respond for comment. Prosecutors allege McGonagall asked the FBI's liaison to the United Nations to broker a meeting between the founder of the Bosnian pharmaceutical company and Haley when she was at the U.N. during the Trump presidency. It was alleged McGonagall's Albanian contact would receive a half million dollars from the big pharma firm if the meeting happened. He bragged, quote, from his ex-mistress. He bragged about his friendship with Nikki Haley very often, said the former mistress who has survived breast cancer. I don't know why that fact is thrown in. He, I mean, it's, it's, it's great. I'm happy for it. But he thought it would impress me. He would just drop it casually when we first started dating. And when he realized I wasn't impressed, he stopped. He told me about the UN ambassador residence. He said it had gorgeous, spectacular views and it was decorated wonderfully. Charlie said Haley was very warm, had a good sense of humor, that she seems to be a very good mother, very hands-on. They were pals. And he wanted me to know that when he was still in the wooing phase with me. But Guerrero also criticized Haley in not denouncing her former lover if they had a link. Quote, she's not a traitor, but I do care that someone who is running for the presidency of this country at a time when we have convicted traitor who was in the FBI, why isn't she denouncing him? Interesting. McGonagall must report to prison on February 26th. Okay, so that seems to be talking about the same thing that we're reading here because it says defendant surreptitious corrupt or an entanglement with person A extended beyond Albania. In spring of 2018, the defendant made efforts to facilitate a meeting between Bosnian individuals and the U.S. delegation to the United Nations, so that's Nikki Haley, and suggested that the Bosnian individual pay person A for facilitating this same meeting. Specifically, on April 27, 2018, the defendant met two individuals associated with the Bosnian Pharmaceutical Company in Germany. During this meeting, the individuals requested an opportunity to meet the U.S. ambassador to the United Nations, Nikki Haley, or another high-level U.S. government official. So this, this right here, being here, this confirms what McGonagall's mistress is saying. This is DOJ confirming that. Uh, to request the United States support for a political purpose that would impact the region of Bosnia and Herzegovina. On May 8, 2018, 
The defendant communicated with the FBI's liaison to the United Nations and requested assistance in arranging the meeting that the two individuals had requested. See Exhibit 2 at 1-2. I want to look that up. Hold on. Uh, this is just going to be easiest if I go to Pacer. Let's see. Let's see. Why is Pacer white and not blue right now? Hmm. That's kind of throwing me off. Okay, McGonagall Responsibility Statement, Exhibit 2. This is Exhibit 2. I think this is the right one. That's what it said, right? It said Exhibit 2 at 1-2. That says Exhibit B. Is it mislabeled or is it the wrong thing? This looks like it's probably the wrong thing. Here, let me uh, control F, F it united. No, it doesn't, doesn't come up. Why don't you type in Bosnia? No, that's got to be the wrong exhibit. Not tripping am I see exhibit two at one two. Oh, it's right here. I clicked on the wrong area. Okay. Okay. I clicked on the wrong docket entry. <coughs> okay, we have an email here. Excuse me from redacted at the FBI to redact to McGonagall care of redacted 10th of May meeting 2018 SAC McGonagall in response below. Please be advised that I had a discussion this morning with redacted who spearheads political issues for redacted and the United States UN. <coughs> Sorry. Coffee went down the wrong pipe. <coughs> Redacted also attended this meeting. Redacted advised that Redacted is fundamentally, fundamentally humanitarian, hence her assignment to Redacted, and that she has limited political experience to get involved with something of this nature. Then a bunch of redactions. Please let me know if you need any help. Respectfully, Redacted. Unclassified per R. This is a from McGonagall to redacted at the FBI request for meeting. Per our discussion this morning, I was approached by Frank in Frankfurt by Dr. Redacted, former redacted, 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 and Dr. Redacted, general manager of redacted pharmaceuticals, well versed in Balkan politics. Dr. Redacted led the discussion, with which culminated in a request for a back-channel meeting in New York with Ambassador Haley, Ambassador Curry, or a decision-maker within state or the administration. The request centered upon the idea of presenting a proposal for free elections and unification for one president between all ethnic groups in lieu of having the different cultural factions and offices of the presidency in the region. This proposal and protective rep presentation to the U.S. officials is sanctioned, is fully sanctioned by Redacted. The reason for the backshell request was Redacted, 
felt any proposal touching upon a unification would be summarily rejected by the Serbs and other ethnic groups within the region. And it was an assessment of these parties that if they could present the proposal to the U.S. without having to go through normal diplomatic channels to avoid a leak to the ethnic groups and potentially obtain U.S. support for it, it would have more impact and support from all ethnic groups. Both advised they were prepared to travel to New York if such a meeting would be feasible. Signed, Charles McGonagall. And then we have an email from July 2018. Let me see if this has anything to do with that. Okay. In support of your efforts, this is from Charles to Redacted. In support of your efforts to work with Redacted, I would propose the following contract structure. In furtherance of identifying and securing and scheduling a meeting with a representative from the U.S. of the United Nations, a referral fee of a quarter million dollars will be due as soon as the meeting is confirmed and scheduled. Once the meeting occurs, whatever the outcome, whether a second meeting is secured or no future meetings are secured or scheduled, an additional quarter million dollars will be due in two increments of $125,000 each over a six-month period from the date of the meeting. Terms of this specific agreement with Redacted are confidential and should not be disclosed to any third parties at any point. Some Albanian wants me to meet this guy. Can you check and let me know what I should do? Sent from my iPhone. Dude. Dude, imagine like, okay, guys, like look who this guy, look who this is. The special agent in charge, Charles McGonagall. He is the guy who is in charge of the counterintelligence division at the FBI office in New York, one of the three most important FBI offices in the country, in a Bosnian pharmaceutical company, wants to meet with UN Ambassador Nikki Haley so that they can lobby the U.S. for support of the Prime Minister, who Charles McGonagall knows, and secretly is secretly meeting with, in order to make more money for their pharmaceutical company. And Charles McGonagall says, yeah, I can make that happen for half a million dollars. I can get you guys that meeting. Give me a half a million dollars. Okay. Approximately six weeks later on June, this is the email we just read. Defendant proposed that person A through a corporate entity enter into a contractual relationship with the Bosnian pharmaceutical company. The defendant's proposal included that person A's company would be paid a half million dollars in exchange for scheduling a meeting between the pharmaceutical company and a representative from the U.S. delegation to the United Nations. On July 1st, 2018, the defendant confirmed with person A by electronic communication that he had proposed this contract he had proposed this contractual relationship above and defendant asked person A to protect defendant McGonagall's name. 
On July 26, 2018, the defendant provided to the FBI's liaison to the United Nations proposed dates for the meeting that the individuals associated with the pharmaceutical company had requested. The next month, on August 13, 2018, the defendant attended a meeting uh, where he provided information to a senior official from the U.S. delegation to the United Nations about the request for meeting. The defendant did not at any point share information about person A's financial interest in the meeting or about the defendant's financial relationship with person A. Ultimately, the meeting did not occur and the money did not exchange hands. So ultimately they failed, which might be why I would guess that is why Nikki Haley hasn't exactly been attacked for this. Uh, Although I would not be surprised to hear Trump bring it up. Like, I would not be surprised if Trump starts making comments about Haley and McGonagall and saying things like, so Nikki Haley, did you hear about Charles McGonagall's sentencing? Wonder what you think about that. Like, just baiting her, you know? I would not be surprised if he starts baiting her a little bit with this. In sum, the defendant, a seasoned law enforcement officer trained to detect the very crimes he was committing over the course of multiple years, took cash from person A and hid it from the FBI in violation of his duty to disclose the true nature of his relationship with person A. In so doing, he created an actual and apparent conflict of interest. (laughs) Yeah, say the least. Applicable sentencing guidelines. We're going to skip this, but basically the sentencing guidelines are such that right here. So there's base level offense, special offense characteristics, and adjustment. I'll tell you something. I I may be wrong about this, but just hear me out in just a moment. At offense level 16, given his criminal history category of two, based on his prior conviction discussed below, The defendant faces a sentencing guidelines compliant with a sentence of 24 to 30 months in prison and a fine of $10,000 to $95,000. Okay, I'm not an expert in this, but I had the thought that I wonder, I don't know, I would need a prosecutor to tell me, but because Charles is already convicted in the SDNY case, that ups his criminal history category here in this case, which makes him eligible for a more severe sentence in this case. So I kind of wonder if that was clever on the DOJ's part to bring the SDNY case to a resolution first and do the plea agreement there first to elevate his criminal history so that the the sentencing available in this case would be more severe. Like, I'm thinking, what if the opposite occurred? What if he had gotten, what if they had done this case first and then done the other case? I wonder if the max available sentence under the sentencing guidelines would have been more or less or the same. I don't know. Maybe it's a wash. Maybe it doesn't matter which one they actually resolved first because either way it would have kicked his offense level to 16. Okay. Um, but it just occurred to me like, wow, I wonder if, um, I wonder if by bringing the SDNY case for, to a resolution first with that plea agreement made it so that the offense level on this case 
was just a little bit higher, which makes him eligible for more or makes makes ups the range of his potential sentencing here. Does that make sense? Um, because if like if he hadn't been convicted in the SDNY case, this it wouldn't be the guidelines here. He would have no criminal history. If he hadn't already been convicted in SDNY, he would have no criminal history at all. So the avail the sentencing guidelines would l be lower than this right here. So I, I don't know if that's I don't know if that's true. Like if I'm right about that, but I'm just kind of wondering if that was something that's like a detail where DOJ was clever to bring the SDNY case to a resolution first and then the DC case because it ultimately results to the sentencing guidelines being that much higher in this case. Anyway, what they're asking for is 24 to 30 months imprisonment and a fine of between 10 and $95,000. Now, that's what the sentencing guidelines say anyway, okay? On December 14th, 2023, in the SDNY, the defendant was sentenced to 50 months incarceration for conspiring to violate U.S. sanctions pertaining to Russia, a crime he pleaded guilty to in August 2023. For this reason, he does not qualify for the zero-point offender reduction under the U.S. sentencing guidelines. Appropriately so, the defendant is not a first-time offender and has committed multiple felonies over multiple years. Then it goes more into the appropriate sentencing. Uh, let's see. We're going to skip. Uh, we're going to skip some of this stuff. Actually, all of this stuff, basically. Or else I'm going to run out of time. Um, so fine and forfeiture, blah, blah, blah. So conclusion, this is what DOJ wants. They want 30 months imprisonment and a $95,000 fine. I don't think they actually say, con I don't think they ask for it concurrent. I don't see where they say concurrent or consecutive. Let me look. Concurrent. Nope. Consecutive. They don't mention it. Okay. My hope is, my prayer is that this judge in this case, who is, um, is it Reardon's in New York? This case is Connolly, I believe. Yeah, Cotelli. Uh, judge Colleen Collar Cotelli. My hope is that this judge sentences him to the max that the FBI is off, or the DOJ is asking for here. 30 months, $95,000 fine. And that it's served consecutively so that this guy ends up in prison for 80 months. That would, that would, that's my hope here. Uh, but I'm sure the judge might give it just a little bit of leniency and say, all right, I'm going to meet you guys in the middle or I'm going to give you almost the maximum. One thing that helps is that it's because it's in DC and it's all politically charged and there's all this anti-Russia stuff. And this guy was literally working with the Russians, uh, Russian swamp creatures that might up the chances of them giving him a, a severe sentence, you know? Um, I did want to look at, I, I went to, let me see, let me see. Where did that go? Where did that go? The sentencing memorandum that he put forth um, didn't have any sections that were redacted when I scanned it earlier. 
I was looking to see if it said anything about him helping out. They're asking for uh, his side. His side is asking for a sentence um, in the range of one to seven months to run concurrently with the 50 month sentence already imposed. And they say the government has not asked for a consecutive sentence and such a sentence would be greater than necessary to achieve the goals of sentencing in this case. That's what they're arguing for. They're hoping that he gets a a concurrent sentence and then, you know, it's basically like he really only has one sentence plus the fine. But we'll see. I hope not. I really hope not. Okay. Now we have this. Our last segment. Man, it's already almost 11 o'clock. Okay. Sorry I spent, sorry I spent so much time on that and on Stone and didn't get to this Trump stuff earlier. Uh, but we were never going to be able to do this whole entire Trump segment today. Yeah, filter dog. I don't know. Maybe he was going to put it in Bitcoin or something, which would have been, which really would have been even dumber. Uh, but I don't know. He didn't. He wasn't able to conceal the other money he got. But I'm sure there is some money he received that is concealed, right? Like you got to think that if he's he got caught taking all these hundreds of thousands of dollars and from these other instances of corrupt dealings you got to assume that there are some corrupt dealings he engaged in which he didn't get caught and the money came in and nobody knows about it right um so yeah i saw somebody i think it was mo good morning mo uh that of benson honey farms by the way use my link get yourself some honey um She's like, why isn't this bigger news? Or she made some comment in that direction. Yeah. So why isn't this in the news? Yeah. Um, the McGonagall case, like, it's frustrated me the entire time it's been going on. I was on McGonagall's trail early on, not as early as others, but I was on his trail right as he got raided by the FBI in the fall, end of summer, end of summer, 2022. I was super excited about it. And then the indictment came and it's gotten some attention, but not much. And um, it's frustrating because it really is something to celebrate, you know, like it's, it's, it's awesome that this swamp creature got caught and it's such an important thing that he got caught. And I think it really like, I think there's a lot of swamp creatures who are very scared uh, because of Charles McGonagall getting found out. He's the type, you know, like we talk about a lot about swamp creatures on this show and I cover it because it's a white pill and you know, by its nature, it's a white pill. Or at least I see it as such. But McGonagall was in a position of power such that he's the type of swamp creature that should never be caught. Never, ever, ever should somebody like this be caught. And this, this is, he was one of them so high up there and this is, isn't supposed to happen if the deep state and the swamp are as protected as they have been prior to Trump and they're not as protected. So, and this is direct evidence of that. 
It's also it also represents the DOJ cleaning its own house, right? So there's lots of things about that are white pills, and maybe that's why it's not bigger news. Uh, Jason of GTA, sorry I missed your rant earlier. Thank you. So any chance the black hand is being taken out? I think I think in some respects, yes. One of the black hands. Yeah. Music and Fiction says here. Thank you, Music and Fiction. He said here's here's some lira for having to go through this information on McGon by now. <laughs> Bear BL, thank you very much for that rant. Just wanted to give a little something. Have a good weekend, and your family includes the puppies. Thank you very much. Those puppy, those puppies are a mess, and they stink. I'm not gonna, they stink. I'm gonna this afternoon. I'm gonna let them play outside in the mud and get extra dirty since they're already filthy, and then they're getting baths. So wish me luck. I'm gonna be bathing two fifty-plus pound puppies. Uh, this evening. That's always a riot. Okay. Um, United States v. Trump. Doc's case in Florida. This is Trump's motion to compel discovery. And it is 68 pages. It contains a lot of information. It's quite dense. Um... And I've been taking my time going through. I thought I would just blow through it at first when I started writing this thread. Not like blow through it, but I thought, okay, this is so long. I'm going to need to really condense myself and not be get super into the details like I usually do. Or else my thread's going to be a hundred plus post. But I couldn't do it. Because it is... It is... There's a lot here. So we're going to start on this. I'm not done threading it. Uh, but we're going to start in on this because what it's doing in this first section that I'm getting at here, okay, what Trump is trying to do, actually, let me explain it this way. What Trump and team are wanting to do is they want discovery. They want to get access to documents and, and records from all of the Intel agencies, from NARA, from the White House, from and from DOJ. Of course, from DNI, they they're trying to get discovery, like far, far reaching discovery. Okay, and to do that, they need to prove to the judge that their case, they're right here, this case right here that's being brought against them, connects to all those agencies, and that all of those agencies and bureaus and and the, this administration were involved in this investigation. Um. And so they're trying to justify, yes, judge, we need discovery on the White House. We need discovery on the DNI. We need discovery on CIA. We need discovery on all this and all these other entities on NARA because they were all involved in the early stages of this investigation into President Trump. So that's the case they're making here. And while they're making this case, they are uh, exposing the very early origins of the very early, the origin and the very early steps taken. Uh, in this investigation to eventually get Trump. Okay. And it's fascinating. Uh, it paints a picture that hasn't been painted for us yet. All right. So it starts off introduction. President Donald J. Trump respectfully submits his memorandum and the accompanying classified supplement in support of defendant's motion for order regarding the scope of the prosecution team and to compel the special counsel's office to produce certain discoverable materials. The prosecution team says, look, 
only these people that are on our our team, you know, like they're the people who investigated you. And Trump and team are saying, no, 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 no. The people in your special counsel's office are one thing, but you had help. The, the, the investigation extended deep into all of these different areas of the government. That's what they mean by the scope of the prosecution team. Because, right, like you guys understand that when, it, when uh, the prosecution brings a case against you, you have discovery on the prosecution and their documents and everything that led to them indicting you, right? And they're trying to hide the rest of the prosecution team by saying it's only the people involved in Jack Smith's office and then the referral from the IG at NARA. But it's, mu- it's many more people than that. There's a classified supplement to this. I don't know how big it is. There's also some exhibits. All right. In addition to these 68 pages here, classified supplement, here it is. That is sealed. All right. The first paragraph starts off hot. The special counsel's office has disregarded basic discovery obligations and DOJ policies in an effort to support the Biden administration's egregious efforts to weaponize the criminal justice system in pursuit of an objective that President Biden cannot achieve on the campaign trail. That is, slowing down President Trump's leading campaign in the 2024 presidential election. The patent absurdity of the office's efforts is illustrated by the fact that while working toward a historic landslide victory in the Iowa caucuses yesterday, President Trump was also preparing to bring to your honor's attention today the record of misrepresentations and discovery violations that have marred this case from the outset and illustrate that the office has disregarded fundamental fairness and its legal obligations in favor of partisan election interference. There are 22 FOIA releases from DOJ and NARA attached as exhibits to this brief. Nearly all of these exhibits, though heavily redacted based on FOIA rules that have no application in a criminal case, represent discovery violations in which the special counsel's office failed to produce documents that support arguments and positions the defense has articulated since at least October 2023. Do you guys remember some of those fire filings I read in October where special where uh, Trump's team was saying, look, the special counsel is hiding documents from us. They are hiding discovery. And they would detail all these things. And then Jack Smith's team would come in and say, no, 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 no. We've turned everything over. They got a couple more pages the other day. They're, this is just, they're, they're being ridiculous. The defense team is making stuff up. That's what this is about. And Trump's team, they're using FOIA. This, these are not discovery items. They're using FOIA releases that NARA, that NARA just came out with last month that have redactions because they're FOIAs. And they're using those releases and they're finding, they're de- they did the detail work to find sentences and other things in those FOIA, FOIA documents from NARA that prove there are more, there's more stuff here that needs to be released to Trump's team that's part of discovery. And they need to get it without redactions. Details reflected in the FOIA releases add force to President Trump's long-held position regarding the scope of the prosecution team. Thus, these materials should have been disclosed by the office in unredacted form at the outset of this case, 
The FOIA release is coupled with other evidence scattered throughout more than 1.2 million pages of discovery reflect close participation in the investigation by NARA and the Biden administration components, such as the White House Counsel's Office, as well as senior officials at DOJ and FBI. These revelations are disturbing, but not surprising. The Biden administration leaked to the New York Times in April 2022, President Biden's view that President Trump, quote, should be prosecuted. The attorney general then proudly announced in August 2022 that he took the extraordinary step of personally approving the raid at Mar-a-Lago. The party's dispute regarding the scope of the prosecution team also extends to the intelligence community and the National Security Council. In this regard, the special counsel's office would have the court believe that the prosecutors have only dealt with these agencies at arm's length. Evidence relating to extensive coordination during the classification review process puts the lie to these claims. Equally telling, in submissions to Your Honor in August and September 2022, DOJ asserted in Trump v. United States that the intelligence community was closely interconnected with and cannot readily be separated from the investigation. Those are quotes from the special counsel's office, which actually helped Trump here. Again, the office's position is disturbing, but not surprising. The prosecutors cannot escape the representations here. The special counsel's office is seeking to avert its eyes from exculpatory, discoverable evidence in the hands of the senior officials at the White House, DOJ, and FBI, who provided guidance and assistance as this lawless mission proceeded and the agencies that supported the flawed investigation from its inception, such as NARA, the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, and other politically charged components of the intelligence community. Even the Department of Energy has taken up the Biden administration's mantle by seeking in June 2023 to terminate President Trump's active security clearance, which is a highly inconvenient fact related uh, relative to the office's allegation of, quote, unauthorized access to classified information under 18 U.S.C. 739E and modifying and amending the agency records to support President Trump's defense. No defendant is required to predict every form of exculpatory discoverable evidence that exists. It is incumbent upon the special counsel's office to collect and produce such much materials or such materials based on a fair, judicially enforced definition of the prosecution team. However, to be clear, the record discussed below strongly supports the existence of additional evidence of bias and political animus that is central to the defense of this case and must be produced promptly. This includes evidence of collusion between the office and the, United ha- and, and the White House, DOJ, FBI, and NARA to use the Presidential Records Act as a law enforcement tool and to abuse grand jury procedures in violation of due process, other constitutional rights, and executive privilege. The office must produce other evidence of bias, including one, any communication with members, relatives, or associates of the Biden administration. Two, communications between members of the Biden administration and the Fulton County District Attorney's Office during the course of the investigation that led to this case including but not limited to records relating to meetings involving Nathan Wade that are substantiated by legal invoices appended to congressional filings. 
Isn't Nathan Wade the guy who has come up that that Fannie Willis is getting her Fannie Willis by? Isn't that right? Isn't it Nathan Wade? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I believe it is. I believe it is. And now his name has appeared in this filing from Trump. Do you guys think it's a coincidence that these allegations about Nanny, that Fanny and and Nathan have come about in that case just days before him being mentioned here? I don't think it's coincidence. The uh, the allegations in the in the Fulton County case about that about the improprieties there. I think that I think they waited to make that filing to introduce the public to the name of Nathan Wade and also to create turmoil in Fulton County between Fannie and Nathan just ahead of this filing in this DC case. All right. I think they don't I think that I think it was uh it was on purpose. All right, and three, evidence relating to analytic bias harbored by the intelligence community that President Trump will use to impeach positions that are relevant to 793E's requirement uh, relating, quote, national defense information or NDI, as discussed below in the classified supplement. The essential premise of the classified supplement is that neither President Trump nor any other party to this action is required to accept the Ipse Dixit. I don't know if that's how you say it. Ipse Dixit. I don't know, but it means the matter of fact, like on its face that accept that the special counsel's office or the biased intelligence community regarding the alleged sensitivities associated with the documents and information at issue in this case. What they're saying here is that the classified supplement that we can't see that's in this, this filing is that is it goes against Jack Smith's claim that you have to accept that what we say is classified is classified because the special counsel's office says it is that this entire time Trump's well, not this entire time ever since their uh, wasn't their motion to dismiss. It was before that it may have been one of their discovery requests from last summer. If I remember right, but they said that president Trump's team said they need the documents that explain the process that was done to reclassify the the documents at issue here that he has indi- he's indicted over. In other that they want to they want to challenge the classification of these documents and prove that they are not classified or they shouldn't have been classified or they were reclassified illegally, whatever. And there's there's long been this thought that these classified documents that Trump wasn't supposed to have were unclassified. They were declassified by Trump as he left. And then after he was already had already left and they were presidential records and they were at Mar-a-Lago, the Biden administration went through a process to reclassify them in order to create a crime. And so Trump's team wants to challenge that. And that's what the classified supplement is about. It may not be the only thing that's in there, but it's one of the things that's in there. 
Moreover, as explained in today's separate opposition to the office's SIPA 4 motion, prosecutors and witnesses repeatedly ignored the so-called need-to-know requirement during the investigation to share literal war stories that have no relevance to the issues in this case. Do you guys remember a few weeks ago, Jack Smith had a filing where he said they wanted to delete discovery, uh, classified discovery from President Trump's team. They wanted to remove classified discovery so that President Trump's team didn't have access to certain portions of it. That's what the SIPA 4 motions are about. It's classified discovery where Jack Smith's team is going to Judge Cannon and saying, the defendant does not deserve to have access to this classified information. And here's our reasons for it. And we're not going to let him see it. It's just between you and me, Judge. And we want you to rule that he can't have access to this stuff, not even his lawyers that have clearances for it. And Trump's team is saying, no, 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 He was the former president and all of this stuff was classified or declassified while he was president. He was the ultimate classification authority. There's no basis for withholding from him this classified information. And all of his attorneys have clearances for it anyway. And he's alleging that part of the reason that Jack Smith's team is trying to hide that information is because it exposes uh, malpractice on their part where they use the need to know requirement during their investigation phase to find information and be able to tell each other war stories. Basically they did it for their own enjoyment. And so they could later use that information probably in book deals and stuff like that. Accordingly, for the reasons set forth below, the court should conduct fact finding on any disputed facts relating to the scope of the prosecution team, enter an order resolving the party's dispute on that issue, and order the special counsel's office to produce the requested discovery. Background. The background is redacted. <laughs> White House Office of Records and Management, or WORM, is one of the entities involved here. NARA General Counsel is Gary Stern. And the Deputy White House Counsel is Jonathan Sue. So those are names we've all heard before if you've been paying attention to this. But if you're following my thread over on X, um, you can refer back to this to remember who these guys' names are as you read the document. And the background here, this is what it says. Early indications of NARA bias. As soon as President Trump left office, NARA started to work with the White House Office of Records Management, WORM, to exaggerate claims related to records handling under the PRA. Whoa, we got a we got a porn bot over on Rumble. Wow. Dude, Rumble is Rumble's doing well. If the porn bots are finally arriving to Rumble, that's a good sign. It's annoying, but it's a good sign for Rumble's future. <laughs> that it's it's being successful enough that the porn bots have arrived along with the CIA bots. Who knows? They could be the same bots, you know? There's not much difference. All right. On May 5th, 2021, less than five months after the end of President Trump's term, NARA General Counsel Gary Stern redacted. Stern noted that redacted. Stern's draft redacted. Emphasis added redacted. However, in early June 2021, an ongoing good faith efforts by President Trump's PRA representatives to address issues raised by NARA, redacted. 
In August 30th, in an August 30th, 2021 email, redacted. On September 1st, 2021, redacted. Stern's email stated that, redacted. Oh, there's another one. In late 2021, without disclosing that NARA had already drafted a referral letter and contacted DOJ, Deputy White House Counsel Jonathan Sue redacted. 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 On October 5th, 2021, Stern sent an email redacted. Stern's email attached a redacted, which he proposed to redacted. Three days later, the Biden administration Redacted, redacted, redacted. So that explains it. All right. Now to the 15 boxes. You guys remember the 15 boxes that were picked up by NARA from Mar-a-Lago in uh, 2021. There have been hundreds of pages of emails and documents related to those boxes that have recently been released by NARA thanks to FOIA request. And I've been going through them a little bit as I'm going through this filing. It's been, it's been great. It's been good, like hardcore document sleuthing for me since Wednesday. I've really been enjoying it. It's very, very time consuming. So I'm doing like a little bit at a time that I'm having to go do dad stuff. And I'm doing a little bit of time that I'm having to go do husband stuff. And like, it's, and then doggy parent stuff, <laughs> but I love it. It's like, it's really, it's really fun for me anyway. All right. So we're talking about Dep deputy archivist, Deborah Steidel wall. Her name comes up a lot. The, the, the transfer of the 15 boxes to NARA on December 30th, 2021. One of president Trump's PRA representatives notified NARA. This is Chris. Yeah. Almost Christmas Eve, Christmas Eve, Eve of 2021, one of President Trump's PRA representatives notified NARA that, in response to NARA's request, there were boxes available for pickup at Mar-a-Lago. Okay, so NARA had requested to get whatever boxes Trump had. They sent, they sent a letter down there saying, we need to get some boxes for cla to have classified info or that there are for the records, they need to be archived, et cetera, et cetera. And Trump's team had 15 boxes put together, notified them December 30th, 2021. NARA caused the 15 boxes to be transported from Florida to Washington, D.C. on January 18th, 2022. In response to an internal NARA email claiming that some of the materials contain classification markings, then Deputy Archivist Deborah Steidel Wall redacted. Footnote, under the PRA, access to presidential records is restricted for several years after a president leaves office. The PRA establishes exceptions to the restricted access period, which can come in the form of special access request from Congress or law enforcement. NARA provides notices of such requests to the impacted executive to allow the official to invoke any available rights, defenses, or privileges such as executive privilege. That is important. The special counsel's office has falsely claimed 
that NARA independently referred this matter to DOJ on February 9th, 2022. However, the evidence demonstrates that redacted. According to an FBI report, Stern and Jay Bosenko, also of NARA, redacted. And Trump's team says that this is all in an effort to cover up evidence of biased participation in the investigation by the Biden administration. The special counsel's office claimed that NARA independently referred the matter to DOJ. That does not appear to be true. NARA's sham referral. January 25th, 2022. So that's about a month after the 15 boxes. Okay. The NARA OIG, Office of Inspector General, the NARA OIG, wrote to Thomas, Thomas Moynheim, the Inspector General at the Intelligence Community, that, quote, our agency just gave us a quick brief on what appears to be a very high-level potential spillage and records management issue. Okay, so... Trump and team comply with the request from NARA. They send them 15 boxes. 26 days later, the NARA OIG contacts the Inspector General of the Intelligence Community regarding a spillage, a very high-level potential spillage and records management issue. And I have that email right here. To Thomas Moynheim, care of uh, Jason Metric, Brett Baker, subject for a meeting, meeting regarding potential high-level spillage. Our agency just gave us a quick brief on what appears to be a very high-level potential spillage and records management issue. When they notified the DOJ, the Office of a Deputy Attorney General told them to contact us and your office. Do you have some time tomorrow or the next day to meet virtually? Please let us know, respectfully, John Sims, counsel to the Inspector General, Office of Inspector General, National Archives and Records Administration. Three days later, in an apparent effort to paper the file, Stern sent NARA OIG an email with the subject line, Issue Re-Potential Destruction of Presidential Records. The document has not been produced in discovery, but there is a heavily redacted FOIA released version. So understand that what's going on here is Trump's team. They want the unredacted version. They're saying that all of this stuff should be part of discovery. This is how this investigation into president Trump started. These are the players involved. They coordinated with each other. And therefore we should have discovery on these documents. Also, they need to be unredacted. At the same time they're seeking that, NARA has had to, because of FOIA, release FOIA versions of it to the public, which is helping President Trump's team. However, heavily redacted is exactly what they are. This is them. You can see I highlighted right here where it, the email uh, subject line is issue re potential destruction presidential records and the rest of it is just black I mean just straight black R to the edges of the paper black
Nara OIG forwarded Stern's email to Thomas Wyndham. Wyndham, this is a spelling error on my part, and a very unfortunate one. Wyndham is now on special counsel Smith's team. I messed up when I wrote this. A terrible typo. So this Wyndham guy at that time wasn't he he's on special counsel Smith's team and he was there back at the very, 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 very beginning of this investigation into Trump over these documents, which goes to the fact that this material is discoverable for president Trump's team. The very person who's involved here at the very early stages within the first days of this investigation is now on special counsel Smith's team. So every email he was involved in related to this case should be discoverable. February 1st, NARA OIG forwarded Stern's email to Thomas Wyndham, now an assistant special counsel who has appeared in the District of Columbia prosecution of President Trump in the D.C. case, and asked, quote, to discuss the below matter. On February 9th, the date on which the special counsel's office has claimed the referral was made by NARA OIG, the following events occurred, okay? February 9th, at 2.17 p.m., the House Committee on Oversight and Reform requested information from NARA regarding the 15 boxes. At 3.01 p.m., redacted. 3.03 p.m., Bosenko sent an internal email indicating that he and Stern had, quote, alerted NARA OIG, the Office of Director of National Intelligence, OIG, and DOJ. At 5.07 p.m., NARA OIG sent a sham referral to John Keller of DOJ's Public Integrity Section, Exhibit 17. NARA OIG claimed at the in the 5.07 p.m. email that Stern had redacted. All right, let me see if I can grab that for you guys. Well, I don't have much time left. I'll keep going. So that's that day. I love it that the actual referral in this case is Exhibit 17. I'm sure that's coincidence. Nobody would dare put, you know, like, I can't, no, it's, you know, it's just 17, you know. And it just happens to be the whole reason this case was brought, and the exhibit is 17. But, you know. All right, so here's the email. Hi, Thomas. Might we have a moment to discuss? In a text message four days later, Bosenko explained that, quote, the 15 boxes from Mar-a-Lago have consumed all of our discussions with the White House. Boom. Boom. That right there, that right there connects this entire investigation to the Biden White House and should be enough of a reason or should be sufficient or Trump's team to convince Judge Cannon, we need discovery on communications between the White House, NARA, and DOJ in the special counsel's office as regards this case. Because right here in their own words, they are saying that the 15 boxes from Mar-a-Lago have consumed all of our discussions with the White House. More redactions, 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 redactions. Here is the text message exhibit. Hi, Jay. This is from Oliver Potts. Any headway on getting White House to consider fate of the books with us? 
William Bosenko, none. The 15 boxes from Mar-a-Lago have consumed all of our discussions. Do you have bullets or something I can crib to send an email? Oliver Potts definitely will send. Thanks, that will help. I kind of wonder if they're talking about thick binder of Crossfire Hurricane stuff. And he's calling it books instead of a binder. But I could be wrong. All right, so I had to step away from the thread at that point, go to Devolution Power Hour. Our Wednesday Devolution Power Hour was fantastic. If you missed it, go check it out. We had a great time. We laughed a lot. It was informative. We were just, in my in my opinion, it felt like we were really on song uh, last Wednesday. One of our best episodes, for sure. A lot of fun, and the last hour is like, not the last hour, but the last segment. Last hour is like rants, but before that, uh, that article we went over from NBC News, like Devo, Devo stuff, just over and over and over. It was so great. So, all right, back to this thread. March 2022. So we've gone from December to January, February, now March. Quote, Attorney General Merrick Garland authorized DOJ and the FBI to open a criminal investigation targeting Trump. NARA and NARA OIG had been providing DOJ and the FBI information relating to those boxes since January 2022. White House Special Counsel's Office did not seek President Trump's permission under the PRA to grant the FBI access to the 15 boxes until April 2022. Remember what we read up here in that footnote? Where is it at? Where'd that footnote go? Sorry, I'm going to find it real quick. I'm going to find it. I'm going to read that footnote again. I may have scrolled past it. I guess I must have. There it is. Under the PRA... Access to presidential records is restricted for several years after a president leaves office. The PRA establishes exceptions to the restricted access period, which can come in the form of special access requests from Congress or law enforcement. NARA provides notices of such requests to the impacted executive to allow the official to invoke any available rights, defenses, or privileges, such as executive privilege. So Trump has... They're restricted. His his records that he took are restricted. And if somebody want if Congress or the FBI or DOJ want to have access to him, they have to put in a request. And then Trump has the right to put up uh to claim privilege and, and other things. But we learn here that the White House Special Counsel's Office did not seek President Trump's permission under PRA to grant the FBI access to those boxes. They got access without getting putting in a special request. On April 29th, 2022, they eventually gave, gave a Senate request in April 2022, but they had already been looking at them for three months, starting in January. All right, April 29th, 2022. Jay Bratt, the chief of the counterintelligence and export control section of the National Security Division at DOJ, asserted to President Trump's attorney that... Redacted. The short sentence. Don't know what it says, but we can kind of guess what it says by what comes next. 
Deborah Steidel Wall, who at that time, so it's the immediate, this is the immediately following section. We can kind of guess or infer what is under this redaction. Deborah Steidel Wall, who at that time was not as acting archivist, quote, parroted the claim, meaning the claim that Bratt made right here, in a May 10th, 2022 letter to President Trump's attorney declaring that NARA would disclose the records over President Trump's objection. So whatever is redacted right here from Jay Bratt is saying the same thing as the May 10th letter from Deborah Steidel. The special counsel's office has not produced the damage assessment that is claimed in here. There's a, there's a damage assessment involved here with this referral where um, NARA contacted the DOJ and the intelligence community and said, we have a potential spillage and mishandling of records and possible destruction of records. When that happens, they're supposed to do a damage assessment of how much damage could be done to people, to uh, agencies, to uh, uh, the intelligence community, like how much national security, how much harm could potentially come from this spillage of records and this destruction of records. There's supposed to be an assessment done. That assessment has not been provided in discovery to President Trump's team. That assessment is really important because it actually indicates just what is the harm that President Trump might have. They've accused Trump of doing all sorts of crazy things with this, these documents, remember? Like early on, they were, there were claims that he was trying to sell them and compromise national security, uh, all of this nuclear secrets, all that kind of stuff. Somewhere there's an assessment, or at least there should be an assessment of damage. Where is it at? Quote, Biden deferred to NARA's determination to overrule President Trump's invocation of executive privilege after having been advised by an assistant attorney general to take that position. So remember, Trump claimed the FBI already had access for three months. DOJ already had access to these 15 boxes for three months. After three months, they then decide, oh yeah, the PRA says we're supposed to request to get access. Let's go ahead and do that post facto. They request it from Trump. Trump says, no, I'm claiming executive privilege. No, you guys can't have access. President Biden then says, mm, I'm not sure he should be able to claim executive privilege over this, but I'm going to defer to NARA whether or not they should invoke executive privilege on the advice of the assistant attorney general. And then we have Deborah Steidel Wall's May 10th letter. This is a letter I've read on my show more than once. This goes back to the very, very beginning of this case. And I don't have time to read it all now. In fact, I should probably end the show at this point. So this right here, let me wrap, let me wrap this up. This letter right here was the first time, if I remember correctly, this letter is the first time that we all kind of picked up on this battle that was playing out secretly between the Trump at, between the Trump and Mar-a-Lago and NARA and DOJ and the Biden White House. Because remember, they, there were all these news stories about how NARA was trying to get access 
and DOJ was trying to get access to files that President Trump's team had to documents and records. And Cash Patel and John Solomon were Trump's representatives to NARA. And they were saying all this stuff has been declassified. And it all has to do with uh, Crossfire Hurricane and Hillary Clinton's email server and other things like that. Russiagate. And they were playing this game. Basically, I mean, I'm not trying to minimize it at all, but they're they're playing a game back and forth about no executive privilege or all this stuff, PRA, and we were there. All this discussions were playing out, and the media was hyping up. Ooh, is President Trump hiding something? What's he hiding? Did he commit a crime? All this stuff. This letter was like a a a pivotal point because it was a month after this that the FBI went to Mar-a-Lago and visited. And took a look around, and then they made it. They made suggestions on upgrading the locks to the storage facility at Mar-a-Lago, and then a couple weeks later, they put in a subpoena to President to Mar-a-Lago to the Trump Org, which runs Mar-a-Lago, asking for security footage. And then two months later, they raided, quote unquote, Mar-a-Lago. So, let's pick. Let's pick this point right here as the stopping point, this letter. And then we're going to pick this up again, either sometime this weekend or Monday, because I, I want to go through this case and take us back to the beginning. Now that we have more information from these FOIA documents from NARA, there's hundreds of them. They're helping paint the picture of the origins of this case. We're going to pick up on that, that letter will be our starting point next time I go live. All right, fam, that's my show today. Hope you guys enjoyed it. I've got to go back on dad duty. You guys have a wonderful weekend. If you like the show, hit the thumbs up. Um, for the first last, uh, the last show I did, for the first time in a few months, I made the top 25 on Rumble. Thanks to you guys hitting the thumbs up. And I really appreciate that. That's pretty cool. So if you like it, hit the thumbs up. Look for those clips of the show. I'll make some clips from today's show and throw it in the clips playlist. And uh, yeah, if you want to do more than that, visit my links on my link tree in the description. Um, Y'all have a great weekend. Remember, we're not going to win every battle, but we're going to win this war. God bless you. I'll see you later.
future, keep your pre-